my name is Julie Turney, and this is the HR Sound Off Podcast Show, the show created for HR and business professionals to discuss pertinent topics and trends as it relates to our professions. We're going to have amazing conversations with HR professionals from all over the world, get to learn their origin stories. How did they get into this profession? What do they love about being here? And how they want to set the record straight on that one misconception that really drives them crazy about our profession. Are you ready? I'm ready. Then let's sound off. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the HR Sound Off podcast show. Did you miss me? I'm back. Here I am in full effect. So today I want to welcome to the sound booth, Anitra St. Hilaire. Anitra, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm trying to do. That's all I could say. (laughs) I understand that. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you today. Thank you for saying yes. So let's get into it and tell our audience a little bit about who you are. Who is Anitra St. Hilaire? How do you get your start in HR and where are you at right now? Uh, (laughs) So I'll start with the easy question. I'm based out of Raleigh, North Carolina, but originally from New York, born and raised in the city. Um, My undergrad degree was in finance. I really wanted to be a psychologist, but I didn't want to spend a lot of time in school. So I said, you know what? I know math enough. I'm going to go into finance and I can make money pretty quickly that way. Mm-hmm. So after school, I worked at uh, Procter & Gamble for a couple of years as an auditor, realized I didn't, didn't love finance, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Uh, and so I went to get, my, to get my MBA. I went to Stanford mm-hmm. for a few years. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I left. So I went into consulting because that's a, a nice fit of my finance background, but still able to touch a lot of different kinds of projects. And I went to a smaller startup and at the startup, they only had HR consulting jobs. Mm -hmm. And so I did some HR consulting. And what I found was it was a nice mix of like my desire to know about people, which is where Mm -hmm. my psychology uh, interest came from, but Mm -hmm. I could use the business skills I had to really understand the business. So Mm -hmm. I did that for a while realized that was a good fit for me, uh, and then took my first step into truly the HR world, working for Merrill Lynch. Um, And I thought that was a nice match because I understood banking. I had done some internships in banking. My background was in finance. So Merrill Mm -hmm. Lynch, I'm anyway, now it's Bank of America, uh, Mm -hmm. was a good place to sort of get my footing. Right. And that's, that's where my HR career started. I've had a few HR jobs since then. Mm -hmm. Uh, I promoted a few times there, realized I did not want to work in the for-profit world. I wanted to do something that um, made me feel better about the world. Mm-hmm. And so I went to work for a nonprofit, Teach for America, for a number of years. was heading up their talent and engagement function, then became chief of staff to our CPO, uh, mm-hmm. and then realized I wanted to try something new. And so I stepped into the startup world and that's sort of where I've been. So I worked at Upworthy, which is now Good Media Group for a while, a company mm-hmm. named Harvest, which is a software company. And now I am at 3Flow. I did a little consulting in there too uh, okay. for a company called People415. Nice. So your HR career is very extensive for sure. And also in terms of having like a business background, you started in finance and moved your way, moved your way into HR. 
which is amazing. I always find that the people who have come from the ops side, operations side, or finance side of the business into HR are easy to get a better understanding of an appreciation of what is required in HR once they've had that business experience. You agree? Yes. I yeah. think one of the things that has made me successful, uh, and I use that term not lightly, I feel like I've done well enough in my career, but I can always do more, right. um, is a good understanding mm-hmm. of business. And I layer on that, making sure I have a good understanding of the business I'm in. So the company mm-hmm. I'm working with now, uh, the First Benefits Placement Systems, 3Flow, uh, I'm not an insurance person. I don't have an insurance background, but it was really important for me to develop an understanding of the insurance industry because it makes me credible as an executive. Um, And I think if you're going to provide counsel and advice and partner with people within the organization, you have to have some understanding of what they are dealing with. Uh, And then particularly as I've uh, sat on more executive teams, Mm -hmm. being a part of that group of people who are thinking about the strategy of the business, you have to understand the business to understand the strategy and to really participate in those uh, high level conversations. And it's not just about um, the view of the world from where I sit, which I think is an important uh, view view that I bring to the table, important perspective, right? I'm bringing mm-hmm. a perspective of the people function, but right. also a perspective for the business. I see myself as being a steward of the business, mm-hmm. which isn't the employee, it isn't the management, it's, it's the business as the a business. whole. Yes. And so you need to understand the business and not yes. all of it. There are plenty of people who can talk a lot more credibly about our work than I can, right. but I certainly need to be able to talk credibly about the business and then add my own perspective and lens through which I view the world uh, yes. to help us solve collective business issues. I love that you said all of that <laughs> because <laughs> I think that it's, it's one of the things that a lot of us as HR professionals miss the mark on. Um, we sometimes there are some of us who forget that we're not just there for the people but we have to understand how the business works in order to be able to give good advice to provide good services we have to have a good understanding of the needs of the business and not just the business but also the industry Um, I would go a little further and say we need to understand our industry, um, what our competitors are offering and how they are navigating the talent space, the people space and the work that they're doing so that they get the most out of the people who are working with them. And I find a lot of times for us as HR professionals, we kind of miss that mark. So I'm really glad that you you said all that you said with regards to making sure that you do understand, understand the business. For people who may be struggling with that, what are some of the things that you did or are continue to do um, to help you get a good sense of the business that you are working in and how you use that information to create good people strategies or have the high level conversations around the people agenda in your organization? That's, that's an awesome question. <laughs> um, I think to attack the, the, to address the first part of it, mm-hmm. part of, part of it starts with knowing the people in your company and asking them, what are they reading? How do they keep 
uh, abreast of issues in their workplace? What are they spending their time thinking? What podcasts are they listening to? Mm -hmm. uh, do they subscribe to any newsletters? And what I like about newsletters in particular is mm -hmm. you get these quick hits. You can read them whenever you want. Podcasts, yeah. another good thing. They take a little more time, mm -hmm. but you can listen to it like getting ready for the morning and you pop that on. Uh, but when I find those industry related, and they don't have to be necessarily industry specific, right. um, but when you find out what your peers and colleagues are listening to who are in the business and who have uh, direct business functionality, meaning they're in product, they're yeah. engineering, they're working on the things that you're building. Mm -hmm. Those people to me are very credible in terms of what, how do you know what keeps you up at night? Well, because I'm listening to this and I'm reading about that. So I'd say start by asking your colleagues what they're listening to. And I mean, mm -hmm. your colleagues around the business, not just right. your HR colleagues. Mm -hmm. um, your second piece or piece of the question, which is around how do I bring that into work? It's in a, in a couple of different ways. First, if I understand, for example, um, insurance tends to be less, a little more stable in economics times because people still need healthcare, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. They're still going to yeah. go after that. So I know things are going awry in the rest of the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. That's still, it doesn't mean that we get a, a pass. We still have to be really thoughtful and careful yes. and yes. plan a little bit differently. But I know when I see a lot of people are now starting to um, have laid folks off, a lot of people are now rushing to decrease all of the plans that they had before. We've taken a much more thoughtful approach because we know, even though we can say, yes, we are tend to be safer as an industry. We know what's happening with startups. Yes. We know what's happening uh, with smaller companies. We know mm -hmm. what's happening with VC-backed funds. So it's being really thoughtful about how are we spending our money? Where are we spending our money? Even though we as a company are doing well and, and we feel yeah. good about our path, but we still need to be thoughtful. And I think my mm -hmm. My approach to that is, well, how are we thinking about hiring? We hired a ton of people last year. We're not hiring as many people this year because yeah. we want to be slow about our growth and we want to make mm -hmm. sure that we're using people in the, the right ways before we start hiring more and that we're thoughtful yeah. about our runway and being efficient with what we have. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's taking the bits and pieces of information you find other places and then figuring out what does that mean for where we're headed and what we want to do. Yeah. It also means I know there are a lot of great people on the market. Mm -hmm. So we spend a lot of time on our lay the layoff list. There are layoff lists that are available to folks. You follow LinkedIn and I know I need a senior product manager. So mm -hmm. we're going to jump into all the folks who have been laid off and have conversations. And we know these are people available right mm -hmm. now who are great and, and let's go after them. So yeah. it's really figuring out um, what you've heard thinking about your company's strategy and where they are and where mm -hmm. are the pieces that you might be able to find a little bit of advantage uh, to move things forward. Yeah, I think that that's very useful information that you've shared um, to help some people along. I love the way you talked about asking your peers, like what they're reading, watching, listening to um, type of thing, because that helps you to become more aware of what that is on their mind and what they're staying abreast with. Um, and I love that last piece in terms of the strategy that you're taking to actually look on LinkedIn for people who are laid off. And I feel like sometimes um, in terms of our recruiting talent pipeline building strategies, we forget that piece. 
You know, we're just looking for fresh talent. But there are so many people right now who have been laid off, who do need jobs. And if you, you can easily find them on LinkedIn. Yes. And we don't have a huge, we have one recruiter. We have one recruiter on our team. And that's, mm-hmm. that is our person for all the roles that we have. Yeah. And I need to focus her attention. There are lot jobs that we have and lots of people coming to, to look for right. them, but we still want to have a good sourcing strategy and find and mm-hmm. find great people. Uh, and I love just in this moment yeah. that the stigma of being laid off is not what it once was. Like was. I, I love that we have evolved to a place where people can get laid off or decide to leave their jobs and not mm-hmm. have a job for a while. And it's not mm-hmm. this stamp of failure yeah, um, it's not the end of the on world. your, on your record anymore. And it's, yeah. it's a good story. And we love to hear about why mm-hmm. people may have left. And a lot of times it, even when it's voluntary, it's for like great reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me what are some of the, some of the things that you've heard that, you know, you've been excited about or that have moved you in a way to, you know, really feel what that person is going through? Well, it's funny. As you ask that question, I don't, it's not somewhat selfishly and I don't mean it to be egotistically, but I use myself as an example of that. Right. Um, I left my job at Harvest mm-hmm. um, and voluntarily I left my job. Wonderful mm-hmm. company, great people. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't, I needed a different step in my career and I knew right. that. And when I was looking for the job that I had now, one of the things that I felt was really important to me was just being honest about what I was looking for and who Mm -hmm. I was. And uh, I feel personally to have the kind of job I have, I need to be very values aligned with the company I'm working for. And so I went out and searched for a company that met my values. And I've been clear about, here's what's going to work for me. Here's Mm -hmm. what I'm good at. Here's what I'm not not good at. uh, And where I hope to grow and develop as a person. And I think one of the things I really love about my particular executive team and the people who interviewed me was um, they understood that and could see, yes, I was doing, I was, had been consulting on uh, with the company for a while, but I think being able to tell that story about the truth of who I was and here's why that could be valuable to your company. um, And I think they saw that I was a very values led leader and Mm -hmm. our values matched as a company. Um, I think that can be, really powerful as a hiring tool. Yeah. Uh, and I've in turn used that to talk to the people that I'm working with. Yeah. Uh, and someone who works for me now was working as a contractor, getting ready to take a longer term contract. Um, but we talked about where she was interested in, what really got her up in the morning and motivated where her skills were. And we yeah. found we had a nice complement of matches, but the I what I care about, mm-hmm. I care that you can do the job, of course, but what I deeply care about and what I think makes uh, 3Flow and other places like a great place to work is what what is motivating to you and Mm -hmm. where are the places where you sort of draw the line for yourself Mm -hmm. and what's going to be the kind of place where you say no. And it doesn't mean like you're different than I and that's bad, but at at its core, if you believe in the kind of place where, uh, you know, the bottom 10% have to go every year, that is a legitimate path that some companies take. I would be very bad at managing in that environment yeah, yeah. Um, because I don't, I don't believe the bottom 10% it's sometimes it's more and sometimes it's less, yes. right? It's sometimes it's, these people just need different development. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think having those stories, it's not about sometimes personal circumstances well, but 
all of that leads to who are you at the core as a person? What is really important to you? What's going to get you to go that extra mile? And what's going to get you to turn away? Because I need to know if you have a hard time with this kind of thing, this might not be the right place for you. And I think companies that can do a really good job of making it a safe space to talk about someone's values and and being okay with, you know what? You, what you're doing is great. It's just, it's just not for me. Yeah. Would benefit a lot because I yeah. found that that's where I get into the most trouble. Like if yeah. our values aren't aligned, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not happening. Yeah, definitely. Transparency is key. I think absolutely. Transparency and psychological safety are very important in any organization, but especially for like, if that's where you want to be, where your values align with an organization, they have to be transparent and they have to be creating psychological safety for me to be able to have those kind of conversations that you're talking about. I really, I, I believe that. I believe that. And like, if I was, and I love that you can name that. Yes. And be able to say that to a company and a company that says, yes. we're not ready for that transparent. Like we try not to be very transparent and here's why. Then mm-hmm. you can say, great, <laughs> this is not for me, right? Mm-hmm. There, There is someone out there for you. Yes. It's just not going to be me. Yes. I, I want you to speak to all of our HR professionals who are listening right now and Give them some advice around having and navigating that conversation. Because I think so many people mm. in our space struggle with that um, because we have a lot of people pleasers in our profession. That's the truth. Yep. And we have a lot of people <laughs> in our profession who just, you know, are struggling with articulating their no and their ask. What advice would you give them right now? Because I feel like this is such a great path that we're going down with this conversation. <laughs> um, and and you say that and I'm like, I, I don't know. Am I even qualified to give advice? You, but- just, you just give advice from based <laughs> on your experience. And in this moment, what would you say to people? I'd say, first of all, you have to determine for yourself what those things are. For me, I'll be honest, I learned that more through experience than by mm-hmm deep self-reflection and realizing things about myself over time. But it Mm -hmm. starts with what, maybe it's, it's asking yourself the questions, what, what are you really excited about doing? Where do you feel good? And like, yes, this, I can do this. And what are the situations you've experienced that feeling of, I don't want to do this, but I have to, or someone's asking me to do a thing and I don't really love it. And like, what gets to the core of that? Why did you feel that way? Okay, well, why, why? You know, ask the five whys and get to the heart of your thing. Yeah. And trying to narrow down what what that boils down to for you. So for me, Mm -hmm. I usually say at my core, and I know it sounds cheesy and trite, but at my core, I want to go to a place where I can help people. Yeah. And that has been my thing. I want to be helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, but I need I need people to understand a few things about me. Um I I trend towards transparency. I realize we can't put everything out on paper and I'm okay with that, Mm -hmm. but I need to know that this is an organization that does actually want to lean towards transparency. Like I call it responsible transparency, right? There's some things that we want to share. We're not going to put everyone's home address out on the internet for everyone to see, Right. but do we have uh, a trend towards more transparency? Are we a company that's going to, uh, 
take the opinions of the people into account, Mm -hmm. but not let majority rule run the day. That is important to me, that it's not just about majority rules, because I think that can get you into a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. And so being able to narrow down, if you had to pick your top three, maybe five values, can you get it into a sentence or two about what works well for you, the environments you work best in, the kind of people you work best at, and tell that as part of your tell me about yourself question, right? Um, This is me at my core. I like to help people and I need to do it in a company that's values aligned. What does that look like for me? Place where there's open transparency, where I feel like I can provide my two cents, give you my opinion, but Mm -hmm. I need to be part of a team uh, and I need to feel respected. I don't, I don't like to go to places where um, HR is second, you know, second thought. I need to go yes. to people first place. Yeah. Uh, and then it's I'd say one other thing is I think I often can hear HR professionals tell you this story themselves too, mm-hmm. and and they're able to articulate here are my values and here's where I'm going with that. But how do you figure out that the company? you're going to is not just selling you a story. Like, of course we are. Cause every, everyone's people's first, everyone cares about the people. And I would just say to that part too, it's not just being able to articulate, but also listening as you ask, as you ask people who are interviewing you questions or even in the questions that they ask you, yeah. are they asking you about people related mm-hmm. things? When you tell a story about how you did something, how do they respond Do they ever address the empathy that you've talked to someone about? Or are they always talking about the numbers? And again, Mm -hmm. numbers are important. Business comes first. Business has to stay operational. But I've been in interview sessions where people have asked me 100% database related things. And if there is no qualitative if you're not valuing like, right. okay, I get all yeah. the numbers, but there's also a story here. Yeah. That is a much more difficult place for me to operate in because yeah. I believe in the value of numbers, but I believe they tell a story, story. which is not all about numbers, oh, right? There's are, more to it. We are so aligned. <laughs> we are so aligned. We are definitely on the same page. I feel like we could we could talk about these things for a long time, um, but I got to move on. So let me That's ask fair. you. <laughs> so let me ask you. What do you do to take care of yourself as a busy HR professional, human being, taking care of life and family and all those kind of things? What do you do to take care of yourself? I say first I sleep. That is the highest priority on my yeah. list because it's important to me. Yeah. So I have uh, two children, a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. And there are nights I go to bed before they do because Mm -hmm. I'm like, I've got to get my sleep. So first and foremost, I carve out time to sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, I also really enjoy reading and it's a small enough, small being, I can read for five minutes or for like four hours. Right. But it's a thing I can do where if I get a few minutes to myself, I work a hundred percent remotely. So if I'm in between meetings, I can pull out a book or a lot of times I'll listen to YouTube videos uh, and the, I have, I'm pointing because my TV's over here. Right. Got a TV over here where I can listen to it, but still work and and right. um, listen to a video. But for me, it's I'm not the massage person, right? You know, I'm not yeah. hiker and go outside that much. I should. Yeah. I know more sunlight is good, uh-huh. but for me, it's I, I really value time to go within myself, right? 
And so I sneak the moments where I can take my phone and get on Kindle. Like, Uh I got to read a chapter of something uh, or I want to listen to something on my way to and from dropping the kids off at school. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm usually listening to something on the radio. But that is that is my happy place. Yeah, is a lot of a lot of reading. And there's that that's fine. I mean, self care is different for everyone. And yes, and I think it sounds to me more like you're an introvert as well. A hundred percent. Go within because I, that is, you know, the more I talk to you, the more I sound like I'm talking to myself. It looks like I'm looking at myself in the mirror. We are so aligned and so alike in so many ways. Tell our audience, what are you reading, watching, listening to right now that you think that they would appreciate? I've thought about this question so much. (laughs) Because you have so much. Well, (laughs) In part, because one thing I I do like to read a lot of fiction and I like it because it takes me like away and Mm -hmm. I can just be in this story land of play. And uh, while I'm always happy to give fiction recommendations, I don't think that's quite, quite as helpful here. Um, Hey, anything, anything you think would be helpful. Well, one book I will, and that I've gone back to a few times, is a book, I'm looking at it here, The Speed of Trust by Stephen A. Covey. And what I love about this particular book is it talks about trust in more tangible, meaningful ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's things like um, accountability, right? You Mm -hmm. have to be accountable to people. Uh, Do what you say you're going to do. And it's when we say like, hey, I need you to trust me. Yeah. And, and I need to build trust while we in, on some very surface level, understand what that means. Like what, what are the behaviors and actions? And that's what this book talks about the behaviors right. that make up trust and what trust looks like in a one-on-one relationship, what trust looks like on a group relationship and in an organization. Mm-hmm. The reason I come back to it is when I think about oftentimes a, a lot of where conflict happens uh, in organizations, not all the time, but a lot is like, we have different expectations. Mm -hmm. And one of the things about trust is being clear with your expectations and then living in, like we've set this, we've set expectations. And so if I think you're going to do a thing and you don't do it, then I don't trust you. But should you have ever expected that I was going to do that thing? Maybe so, maybe no, but being clear about expectations and then living into Mm -hmm. your, um, what you've commitments living into your commitments. Yeah. It's, it's been a really helpful, tangible. Okay. You said this person doesn't trust you. What is it that they're doing that makes you feel, Oh, okay. I get it. What we're talking about here is this is a person who doesn't do what they say they're going to do. do. Mm -hmm. And that's how you can give them the direct feedback because feedback Mm -hmm. of, you know, I don't trust you or you don't trust me. It's hard to do something with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's much easier to do something with you told me, Five times you were going to get this thing done and you still haven't gotten done. This is a person who doesn't say they're going to do. And that's why I don't trust you. Yeah. Uh, and so the speed of trust I've found has been a really helpful book. Uh-huh. Um, I watch it. So in the spirit of like things that maybe are just of interest. Yes. Uh, I love CGP Grey videos on YouTube and Curse Gazette <laughs> videos on YouTube. And I bring those up because they're usually relatively quick mm-hmm. and they are... Curse Kazat is in a nutshell in, I believe, German is like what it means. Right. But they're just videos about interesting science-y related stuff. So yeah. climate change or mm-hmm. uh, black holes. Right. Um, but they're quick, like a 
average person can understand right. about a very complicated subject. Yeah. So I enjoy those. Right. Uh, and then CGP Gray just has interesting videos. He goes very deep to figure out, hey, what's the deal with your bag tags when you go to an air- airport coast, yeah. right? Why is LAX LAX, but um, Chicago is ORD? And like, where do those come from? Yes. Random. And I, what I like about those is I'm a sucker for information. So yeah. I love learning new things. Yes. But also, they and actually this is going to relate back to work, they do make for good fodder in conversations with people you don't know very well. Yes. Because I know a lot about like these very random things. And someone says something about, I don't know, baggage, airport codes. And Uh I say, oh, I was there. And I know this interesting thing. And then people Mm -hmm. usually go, oh, cool. That's that's weird. Where did you know that? And it can take you down these paths to find out other people's quirky, quirky things. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're nice pieces of information to start a conversation or find a connection point with someone that you may not find otherwise. Yes. Who would have ever known about it's runway true. names? It's true. <laughs> it's true. Last but not least, my big question, what is the biggest misconception about HR that really bothers you that you want to set the record straight on right here, right now? Tell us, Anitra. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about this one a lot too. And I, I think where I've landed is something that I alluded to a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. I, HR is not, I hear HRs for management, HRs to, to, to protect the managers of the company mm-hmm. um, or the opposite. HR should be here to protect the non-managers yeah. like to, or to protect the employees. Mm-hmm. And while there are elements of both of those things that are true, I really believe HR is a steward of the company. Yep. The company is not a person. It is made of people. Yes. And so I care very deeply about every employee who works here. I mm-hmm. care very deeply that we have good managers and that we protect them and that we protect our employees and yep. that we protect uh, the, our customers and the people that we work with. And, you mm-hmm. know, we're not giving their information away, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's a mix of those things yeah. and it makes our jobs really hard because there are times when I want to do, if I'm only operating on what's best for an employee, the company eventually will go out of business because yeah. that's really actually not what's best. What's best for the company will be good for the people who work at said company, but I can't, I can't always do what I think is best for the full set of employees. And I can't always do what I think the managers or management might, might want for us to do either. It's this very complicated push and pull. We don't always get it right. But I think if we, what's going to be good for three flow, which is made of all these different entities, we're going to try our best to get as close to good as we can. And that's why transparency and psychological safety become really important. Because if I tell you, I am here to try to do the best thing for the company. And that may mean Mm -hmm. you are not thriving in this company. We, with the resources we have, have tried to help you, but you're not getting any better. And that is actually a detriment to all of us, including Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. So we have to make some tough decisions. And that could be for a manager or or an individual contributor, or we might want to spend money on something. It'd be great if I could have everyone in person. I'd love to, we are a fully remote company. I'd love to get everyone in person. Financially, that's not very responsible for us right right now. And so I've got to balance those two things. Uh, But trying to be very clear about, 
Here are the guiding principles we use to make decisions and why mm -hmm. we've built a benefits philosophy so we can explain to people, here is why we have the benefits we have and we have limited funds and here's how we make trade-offs. Yeah. When people understand the whys behind what you do and when you're able to articulate that, mm -hmm. we're not operating on any one entity, we are operating on a bunch. And so yes. here's why if I do this for you, it's going to be bad for this. And it's not always about compromise, right? but it's about what's going to be the best thing we can do with the information right. we have. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, to the to wrap that up, I think the biggest misconception is HR is here for management or that HR should only be here for people. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think HR is a steward of the business in the same way that finance is a steward of the business. And the yeah. lens through which we do that is through the people. That's it. I love that. Couldn't have said it better. But with that being said, Anitra St. Helena, you have survived your time in the Sambo today. Thank you <laughs> Not so survived. This was a great conversation. <laughs> you have been a great companion to talk to today. I really enjoyed our conversation. You're welcome back anytime. Door is open for you. You're so kind. Thank you. It's so lovely meeting you and talking to you. You too. I want to just ask you to share with our audience where they can find you to connect with you on social media. <laughs> I am only on LinkedIn. I'm okay. figuring out how to be a person in the world. You you nailed me. I am an introvert and it's mm -hmm. so hard for me to do outfacing stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but under, it's Anitra St. Hilaire, all one word, okay. linkedin.com slash A-N-I-T-R-A-S-T-H-I-L-A-I-R-E. Gotcha. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I wish you all the best. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of HR Sound Off. I hope that you found it useful. You can find this and all of the episodes of HR Sound Off on all major podcast platforms. Spotify, Apple, Amazon, you name it, we're there. Remember, HR Sound Off is created by HR professionals for HR professionals. If you would like to share your story, then reach out to us and let us know. Make sure to hit the notification bell and subscribe to HR Sound Off on YouTube as well as Podbean. And we'll see you again when we next sound off.